Welcome back to another episode of the Balance of Sam podcast. I am so, so happy you're here. My name is Sam, if you don't know that already, and I'm going to be giving you mindset shifts to lose weight so you can become the most confident and unstoppable version of yourself in work and life. Seriously, I'm just going to be giving you doses of realness and reminders of how badass you already are. And so I'm really excited that you're spending time here and I appreciate you and love you so much. Now let's dive into the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Balance with Sam podcast. On today's episode, I have an incredible woman, Ronnie Robinson, author of Out of the Pantry. And Ronnie is actually a huge part of my own eating disorder recovery. Um, She sent me her book a while back to read, and I binge read the book. And after reading the book, I DM'd her and I was like, girl, you got to get on my podcast. And so I'm so excited to bring her here um, and to share all of her story and her recovery. And welcome, Ronnie. I'm so excited you are here. Oh, Sam, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here. Thank you. Yes, you are so welcome. Um, So for the listeners, if you can just introduce yourself, tell these people who you are. Um, We we can dive into your story, but just a little bit of like where you are in the world, what you're doing, what you're up to, a little bit about your book. Okay. Um, Well, uh, first of all, I'm an old lady. I'm 52. Um, He doesn't look it though. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I paid her to say that. Um, I have, I'm happily married. Um, I've got two children. I'm an empty nester as of almost two full weeks. I'm an empty nester for the very first time, which is very weird. Um, uh, I live right outside of Philadelphia. Um, I am a retired Ironman triathlete and uh, I'm a spin instructor who's on hiatus now because of COVID, um, but still kind of working out at home. And um, yeah, I've been a writer for, uh, I've been a freelance writer off and on for, God, over like 30 years, which is like crazy when I think about it. Um, But mostly like writing feature stories and I used to cover sports um, and um, other things like that. And it's only, um, I I think I knew ever since I was in high school, like I had a book in me. I didn't know what it was going to be about only because like math and science, like math, my brain can't, doesn't compute. Um, but English, <laughs> English always came easy enough to me. Um, so I think I always knew I kind of had a book in me. I didn't know what it was going to be about or anything like that. And only it was into, um, you know, after years of recovery that I realized, you know what? Um, I think that I want to write about this. I felt, um, secure enough in my recovery. I was about eight years in and I felt secure enough that, you know what? I think, I can, I think I'd like to give back and, um, you know, pay things forward and help other people who are struggling to kind of, you know, pull them across and get them to the other side. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, and her book, I'm going to link her book in the show notes too. And we're going to talk about her whole story, but her book is called out of the pantry, a disordered eating journey. Um, and I think you had sent me a DM right on Instagram, like, Hey, can I send you my book so you can like read it and let me know? Is that how it all kind of trans- transpired? I think so. Um, 
I think because I just I mean I'm a huge I was a huge fan of yours on Instagram and I just was like oh I love her message I wonder if by any chance she would be interested in in reading the book um you know I know you kind of had your own you know kind of brand and what you were doing and I was like yeah I'm not sure she's gonna want to but you know what it can't hurt to ask the worst she can do is say no um and then you surprised me with like yeah I was like yes <laughs> yeah so um for everyone listening like Ronnie had sent me her book I literally did read it in an entire morning I think in like three hours I couldn't put it down um I remember it was like a Saturday morning I never like sleep in that late either like stay in bed that late but it was like a rainy day and and I was like, you know, I want to read this book. I'm going to give her feedback too. And I had no idea what it was, what it was even inside in store for me. And I read the book and I was just like, no fucking way. <laughs> like it totally transformed my life. One and two, I just saw so much of myself in your story. Um, even like to your past relationships and like then your relationship with food and then your recovered relationship with food. I was like, whoa there's a lot more depth to my story than I thought. And I was only able to realize that through your language. So, so much gratitude yeah. for you. <laughs> oh, God, you're, you're welcome. And um, I, I so appreciate your saying that. And that's part of the reason I wrote it was that I know in the very beginning of my recovery, um, you know, you feel very alone, right? You're like, you've got to be the only person who has these crazy thoughts and obsession about food. And to find out I wasn't alone and that other people had my thoughts, you know, had similar thoughts, like blew my mind. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? And that was, there was like healing and hearing things that resonated and spoke to you. Um, not like it made me better, but it, 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 everything like, you know, all these little things contribute to the healing. And I thought, you know what, if I can somehow provide that to somebody else so they know that they're not alone and that they have, you know, those crazy thoughts and crazy behaviors they have with food or it's not just them and that it's other people, I, you know, was hoping that, you know, that that would help people also like it helped me. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, so I would love to kind of go back in time with you um, and wherever you feel like your story kind of starts, I would love for you to just kind of give the listeners uh, an understanding of like where you were when you were in like that darker place, um, what your relationship with food looked like and kind of like even how it transpired or like what, what were the events that kind of led up to that low point that you talked about? Wow. Well, that, that's a lot. Um, it, things probably began. No, I always thought that I had a sort of a normal childhood. I mean, like anybody, you know, what you have going on in your house is your normal or your typical, right? I mean, you go to your friend's houses and you see other things, but in general, your house, your parents, you know, your siblings, all that's your normal. That's what you know. So um, I thought I had a good childhood. Um, I had no reason to think anything else. Um, you know, a weird thing happened when I was about nine. Um, my mom um, hid uh, cookies from me. She, my mom was like a depression era kid and everything was like super tight on the money. She went to the market every Friday and the food had to last basically until the following Friday when she went again. And um, there was never any conversation about my eating or anything about that. We didn't, our house was very, um, it, it was kind of, I wouldn't say it was like freezing cold, but 
was not warm and fuzzy. There was no, hey, you know what? You look like you're feeling down today. Do you want to talk or or just there was no, um, it was, this was, yeah, it just wasn't loving and warm and fuzzy and supportive and, Hey, we're here for you. And, you know, you're such a great kid and you're beautiful and you're smart and you can do anything, you know? So it was none of that stuff, which I didn't know at the time I should have been getting. But, um, so my mom hid, um, hid cookies from me. They were like gone. I unpacked them on a Friday and I went to eat them like the next day. And, was like Oreos. I'm like, where are the Oreos? And I like searched the house like a ninja and could not find them. And uh, I asked my mom, finally after a few weeks of this went on, I asked my mom and she sort of just like shrugged it off. And she's like, I don't know. And, and in our house, my father was very domineering. And he, my dad was the type of person who was never wrong. He never said anything anything wrong he never did anything wrong you couldn't argue with him I mean not that I would argue with him but my mother would if she ever had a you know a um, opposing point of view he would scream her down and she would she would never give in so what I saw was this domineering man and this sort of meek woman who accepted whatever the situation was so that lined me up to be when she didn't really respond to my question I was like okay, I get, you know, so she like already set me up to not go, why did you hide the cookies? What's going on? Why did it? Right. So I was already groomed kind of what I saw in my house was to just back down and go, okay, that's the way it is. So I started, um, yeah, it, it all began with me like walking around the corner and going to the grocery store with my like allowance money and buying like, you know, a two pound bag of M&Ms when nobody was home. And then I would just sit and eat all of them. Um, and then I, uh, you know, wrap, wrap, crinkle it up and put it in the, the um, shopping bag and then burn it in the trash can because I didn't want anybody to find it. And these trips would happen more and more. And then, you know, as I got older, I like, um, I babysat. So I had babysitting money and I would like raid the kitchens of where I babysat. And then I got a job at Burger King and I would just scarf down French fries there like you know, you wouldn't believe. Um, and, um, you know, gradually I got to drive and then it was easier to kind of eat and throw things, the wrappers away out. Um, and then came a abusive marriage that I was in. Um, and probably the only good thing about him was that he was like my eating buddy. He also really liked to eat. Mm. Um, and so I was eating we would have, we would like a terrible phrase to use. It's from a long time ago, but we would like pig out. And then I would also eat on my own too. So, you know, we both steadily gained weight, but it was like, okay. Cause we were both kind of doing it. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, that was another thing that my, um, parents had set up for me. Um, this guy was emotionally abusive, but I had no backbone. I had no spine. I had no self-esteem or sense of self or sense of worth. And, um, you know, I, I just perpetuated exactly what I saw in my house at home, this domineering, unreasonable man with a woman who just, okay, you know, and let things happen. And I would cry a lot and I'd be questioning. And there was something deep down that told me, he's not good for you and this isn't right. But, and, and though I wasn't consciously saying, but this is what my parents did. I think they were, I just didn't have enough confidence in myself to go like, you know what? I deserve better than this. Um, I didn't have that feeling about myself. It was never instilled in me that I deserved, I was worthy, you know? And um, 
luckily I finally got the, uh, the enough spine going to finally leave him. And, uh, like weeks later, got called to go on a blind date with this guy who I was like, no, I'm going to, I was like 20, oh my God, 26, 27. And I was like, no, I've missed my twenties and I want to go out and be single. And I want to go out dancing. I want to go to bars and do things and meet guys. And, you know, and that uh, didn't end up happening because I met my now husband who will, our anniversary is in a few weeks, actually 23 oh. years. Oh my God, congrats. On a blind date. Thanks, how funny, oh, right? Sorry. And I totally didn't want to like start seeing anybody. Um, but it, anyway, so that happened. And even though he was amazing, he's such a great guy and we have two beautiful, healthy children. For the first 12 years like of our marriage, I was still compulsively overeating and binging, which I'm sorry I didn't say. So all, all this time, you know, from starting at like nine, I'm starting to compulsively overeat and binge and eat these huge quantities of food um, beyond being stuffed and full. And I had no, I was totally out of touch with any hunger cues or fullness cues. Those meant nothing to me. I just had this, um, but I skipped over a really big thing here. Um, I just had this thing inside of me I, I used to call it like my switch that went on where it would just be like I was focused I just had to have food I had to, I couldn't get it in quick enough um I would like open the pantry door six times like expecting like food like to show up that wasn't there before you know something that I wanted I would I ate food out of the trash I ate I'd food my probably worst moment is I ate it out of the a public trash can one time um I ate it off out of the sink off of people's plates um I just did all all these really embarrassing things in my life was like just focused on when can I eat? What can I eat? Where am I going to get it? How can I hide it? Um, I would be at um, parties and things and I would just give a cursory hello to my friends and then I would be off the dessert table and I would hover around and I would like to do lap around the house because I, I was like, okay, I don't want those three people who were standing in the dessert room, I don't want them to see me come through again. So it was very calculated. And I was like, but I was so driven. Like I didn't give a crap what was going on around me or who was there. I just had this one focus and it was just getting to the food. Um, and even so to, to, to transition that so that even though I'm happily married and I have the best life that I could have ever imagined, um, I am still doing having these binges and eating compulsively um would you like look at me and be like wow you have you know and i knew i have so grateful i couldn't believe that a man like my husband like would choose me right and um i finally one night so this this again so this was going on and on and then the, the pivotal moment was um, I think my husband was out like watching a sporting event or something. My kids were little and they were upstairs sleeping and I was watching TV and, you know, I think things just come to you for a reason sometimes that you're open to it. Mm -hmm. And I heard the words on TV, compulsive overeater. And like for the very, and, and maybe I had heard that before, I don't know, but for the first time I went, huh, that sort of is uh, hitting me. And I went over to my laptop. Um, this was like over 12 and a half years ago. And I started Googling and I came to, um, one of the most prominent things on came up on Google was overeaters anonymous. And it says very prominently on there. I'm not sure if it still does. I think so, but it says like, are you one of us? And it has like this list of like 15 to 20 questions. And I was like, you know, 
do you do this? Do you do that? Have you ever done this? Do you do this? And I was like, yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. Um, and that was this really huge, huge moment for me emotionally for like a million and one reasons. One, I was happy that there was this, there was a thing, this, this had a name to it. Right. I had a, a you know, a, I don't want to say like a label to put on it, but I had something to call it. It was a thing. Or name it so you can tame yeah. it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and then another part of me was shocked that there was a website. I was like, there's a website for this. Does that mean I'm not the only one who does this? How can that be? I thought I was the only person who does this. How can there be a website devoted to it? I'm sure there were others as well, but that was like the big one. And, and then it was like, oh my God, I have an eating disorder and I started Googling some more and I realized that an eating disorder is a mental illness. And I was like, oh my God, like just, you know, and there's stigma attached to that. And it was just so, I was just like bombarded with all these different emotions. Um, and um, my, I, so my, my inclination, because it just comes naturally to me is to just write. So I was Sitting, I wrote my husband a letter. I just sat at the computer and I was crying. Oh my God, where'd you just go? Oh, there you are. Um, I, sorry, I must've hit my cursor. Um, I, um, I started typing out this letter and like living in that moment and telling my husband what just happened. Like, oh my God, I just realized that I, I just, here's what happened. I have an eating disorder. Um, I understand if like, if you want to like, pack your bags, grab the kids and get away. Cause clearly I am messed up. Um, and I need help, you know, and I've just ordered this book and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'll get to the bottom of this. And I waited up for him to come home and gave him the letter. And he, he saw that I'd been crying. He was like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I'm like, just read the letter. And, oh he, and he like held me with one arm and told, held, you know, I just sat, you know, wetting his shirt with my tears and snot and he just was you know reading through the letter and he just put his arms around me and hugged me and he's like I love you and I'm gonna help you whatever you need to do and it was like oh and then to have that support was like more tears right mm -hmm. and um yeah that's that was the very beginning that was the catalyst for my recovery journey oh my god that is so beautiful and I love I love all the emotion that's attached to it because like reading in the book like I I can get that but and also I had a very similar experience with my current boyfriend Kurt and I was just like oh my god like I'm broken I'm fucked up like what yeah. is wrong with me right like you make you make the thing like you like you're yeah. inherently broken and totally and that feeling of like I get it if you want to leave or like making like everyone in your life like I get it if I'm too much of a freak for everyone just like leave me alone and like isolate me like that was my first reaction yeah, yeah I'm totally damaged goods and yeah. if you don't want to deal with this I get it and you know I'll we'll see what happens when I get better you know and hopefully you'll be around to to deal with this yeah yeah oh my god my heart like breaks for that version of me and that version of you in those moments because i know like for people that are listening that do struggle like i really hope that ronnie just sharing this part of her story really helps you see that you are not broken 
Like this is very, it's so much more common than is talked about, which is why I talk about it so much because I'm like, it's not shameful. Like I experienced so much shame because I didn't know it was a thing, right? Like I didn't, I had no reference point. It felt so isolating. And you're like, you make it mean that you're, that you're broken. And like, I mean, nobody talks about it, right? I mean, you know, the eating disorders were anorexia, you know, was like this really super skinny girl, or it was bulimia, somebody who was throwing up. There wasn't, you know, this in-between thing of the binging and compulsive overeating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So keep us going. So you have this, <laughs> this moment, <laughs> then what? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm the type of person who I'm like all in like, okay, so for me, it was like, and I, and I don't mean to make light of this. It was like, I got, you know, somebody told me I had cancer and I'm like, well, hell no, I'm going to fight and do everything I can to, to beat this. So I sort of had like a four, I ended up doing four things to like attack the recovery. Um, one was going to the overeaters anonymous meetings. Um, and it took me, they say that you should try five of them to find out that, and this is in AA also. And, you know, I'm sure in any kind of addiction meeting, you should try five meetings to find one that's most comfortable. Um, the first three meetings I went to were in these big rooms and there were a lot of people and I didn't feel any warm and fuzzy, you know, that I I thought, you know, they kind of tell you, you'll know, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think this is it. And then in the fourth meeting I went to, it was like in a classroom um, of like a church and there was maybe, I don't know, like a dozen or so people. And um, I was listening to, you know, there's a moment again in any kind of um, addiction meeting where everybody shares. And for the first time I was like starting to hear things and I was like, wow, that's that's like me, you know, like little nuggets from everybody would like resonate with me. And then by the end of the meeting, they had the leader has everybody stand up in a circle and, and hold hands. And we recited this thing. And, and the, the words that stood out to me were like, welcome to a OA, welcome home. And I was like, oh, I was like, you know what? I am home. These are my people. i I was at home there. Here were all these people who got it, who understood me. And I was just shocked that this was this room full of all different people, men and women, different ages, different um, sizes, um, different socioeconomic status. And all these people had this crazy obsession with food. So that was like, it really just blew my mind. And I, you know, I stood back from the handheld because I was like, I just didn't know what to do. And I like, I'm not in the group really. And, and someone, both people on both sides of me, they were like, had their hands out and can't see my hands. Here, you know, to be like, come on. And I stood there and I just remember tears were streaming down my face and the meeting ended in some one woman who total stranger, she came over to me and gave me a hug. And I was like, Oh, you know, which of course makes you cry more. And, um, I walked out to my car and I'm like still sniveling and I start up, started up and these three women, I sat there and I cried some more. This was such like this emotional upheaval for me to be sitting in that room and find out I wasn't alone. And I just, all these tears, I couldn't control it. They just kept bubbling up and bubbling up. And these women came over and they not tapped gently on my door, my window. And they were like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. I'll be okay. And um, that's my imitation of me crying. And um, (laughs) they, um, 
they were like, was this your first meeting, honey? And I said, yeah, it was. And she said, keep coming back. And it was like, oh, so my, the last meeting that I went to was even a little bit smaller. And the woman who hugged me, she was there. And I was like, this is my meeting. I found my meeting. I, I needed personally for me, just a small, intimate Yes. setting. Um, so that was one thing that I did was going to these OA meetings and I went once a week and, you know, people share their stories of hope and, you know, there's people who are sitting there. I remember there was this one woman who was abstinent, which is, um, I know the word, I guess, for sobriety, but in the food world, it's being abstinent for like 17 years. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, how that's like amazing. Like, yeah. I want, I want to be you. You're my hero, you know? Um, so I did that for a little over a year or so. Um, in addition to that, I was reading books about um, other people, um, I, I guess sort of like mine, people yeah. who had um, an eating disorder and who, re, you know, and their recovery story. Um, but probably the biggest, biggest thing for me was going to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and therapy is where I learned what had gone on in my childhood um and that the hiding of the cookies gave me the message that you're not enough mm-hmm. and you're not deserving and you're not worthy and you can't be trusted with food and all these unbeknownst to me you know um and then plus the lack of showing love like i knew my parents loved me yeah. but my mom wasn't a gusher you know or wasn't somebody who she wasn't a strong woman and she wasn't a role model and she wasn't ronnie you're so beautiful and you're you can be anything you want in this world and you know she just wasn't a support so i wasn't and you know what maybe another kid would have been fine but i I was the way I, I was wired to need, I required that and I didn't get it. Um, and, um, I also, you know, learned through that, that, you know, uh, or I should say later on, I actually figured this out when I was writing the book, um, that, you know, I love my two kids ferociously. They're like 18 and 20. So they're like, adults and they're you know my son is stinky you know and everything but I still want to like eat their toes you know like you do a baby so I love them so fiercely and it make you know it makes you think like well why didn't my mom love me fiercely what was wrong with me that she didn't feel that way about me um and that was like a really big thing that I learned while I was writing this it's like wow that's that I really like hit like a really big thing there that what I thought what was wrong with me that my mom didn't love me like that um but it was her it was how she was wired it wasn't me there's nothing wrong with me I was worthy and I was enough she just wasn't somebody who showed her love and instead of saying you know what, Ronnie you're eating a lot of cookies can you slow down a little or you know something she just hid them and put her head in the sand and that's how she dealt with things but so anyway in therapy I really just learned the whole um all the reasons why I then as a child as a sort of a coping mechanism turned to food that was my love that I wasn't getting from um my my parents um And even though my husband loved me and my kids loved me and I had this, all this love in my life, little young, little girl, Ronnie never got healed from what her problems were. Um, So I really 
worked a lot with a therapist to just really process that and sort of embrace it and um, understand what had gone on and, you know, and to also learn that eating for those things now, like, why would I do that? You know, that was my coping mechanism when I was nine and when I was 15 and when I was seven, you know what I mean? Like I'm an adult now. I have way other, much more tools for me to use and so forth that I, I didn't need to eat over stuff that happened to me when I was like nine, 10 years old. Like that's silly, but your, you know, those coping mechanisms are ingrained in you and you use them year after year and that just becomes you. So it wasn't until I, was able to fully understand what happened and to heal, to learn about it, like I said, process it and heal myself, which the therapist helped me to do, that um, I started to not, I didn't need the food anymore because um, I understood what happened. Um, and then the, the other component was, again, being a writer, I started an anonymous blog. It was called Confessions of a Compulsive Overeater, which I just killed actually the other day. But um, oh my gosh, <laughs> a chapter <laughs> was like this place to brain dump all of my crazy things that I would do it, you know, I'm like, okay, it's Halloween time. And here's what I'm grappling. This was all during my recovery. So I'd be like, this is what I'm grappling with. So, you know, you have your candy that you're giving out and then you go trick or treating with your kids and there's all this candy and you know, just, you know, all these crazy things that were going through my head. And then, you know, at first it was like crickets, you know, cause you know, you just started a blog. Right, right, right. Then it became this amazing support, you know, the cyber support world that I had where people started commenting and then I started following them and it was this whole big support group. So those four things were, you know, the therapy, the Overage Anonymous, the reading the books and the um, anonymous blogging um, all contributed to um, my recovery and, you know, kind of, I think, got me to where I am now where... I don't, you know, in the beginning of my recovery, I needed to use tools, you know, like, okay, you need to stop eating. You know, I had a food plan and follow the food plan. And that's empowering because you stick to the food plan. You don't have to worry about making any decisions. You just, you're just going to eat what's on the list. And that's that. And there were people who would call their food plan into their sponsor every single day and that helped them to do that it was you know and it's an empowering thing yeah. um and it's counting calories and and then you know that slowly evolved into eating intuitively and tuning into my body and being more mindful um and you know because i healed a lot of that inner trauma i don't want to say all of it but probably a whole lot of it um i didn't i don't you know i no longer need and i haven't for some time now I don't need any tools. I don't need any crutches. This is just my way of life. Um, I listen to my body for the most part. I do overeat sometimes because I hate to say the word normal, but normal eat normal eaters, um, like my husband, my two children, everybody overeats sometimes. You go to a party, you know, you go to a wedding. I mean, who gets like hors d'oeuvres and a fur, you know, three <laughs> yeah. courses of food, right? I mean, people overeat. Um, it happens. And the, you know, the difference is, is, again, quote unquote, normal eater will have some big meal or, you know, some big event, eat tons of food. And then you go back to normal. There's no beating yourself up. There's no over exercising. There's no, okay, well, I'm going to need to, you know, eat, you know, 500 calories today to make up for what I did yesterday. It's just one day of overeating. It's really not that big a deal. And okay, you just move on. And it 
happens to everybody. Everybody does it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think that's kind of it. <laughs> Hey friend, Sam here, and I am interrupting your episode. Sorry, not sorry, because I wanted to make a huge announcement that I'm so excited for. I'm going to be hosting two free masterclasses just for you. You have been requesting these after the first ones I launched back in May. I'm going to be doing another series again called Hello Food Freedom, and this is happening on Thursday, September 17th, and Wednesday, September 23rd. This masterclass is for you if you want to trust yourself around food again and stop overthinking it, if you want to stop overeating and binging, if you want to stop losing control around sweets and snacks, especially at night, if you want to end your cravings after meals or stop using food to numb or cope, if you're ready to take your freaking life back and focus on what actually matters and just be at peace with food. In the masterclass, we're going to go over why you eat and emotionally eat, why and how to get out of that vicious binge restrict cycle, and how to build the confidence to feel good in your skin and to just keep promises to yourself and get out of that dieting cycle, the one that I was stuck in for so long that I've talked about so much on this podcast. So if this resonates, I want to invite you to my free masterclass, Hello Food Freedom. It's going to be again on Thursday, September 17th at 12 p.m. Eastern and again Wednesday, September 23rd at 3 p.m. Eastern so that you can find a time that works for you. If you want to sign up, please head to the link in the show notes. I cannot wait to see you there. I am so excited. You know how I get so hyped on these. And this is an opportunity for you to just get an hour of free coaching, an hour of free content, and to learn from me. And I cannot wait to see you inside. If you have any questions, just head to Instagram, send me a DM, and I'd be more than happy to answer any questions, but I cannot wait to see you inside. All right, now back to the episode. Oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. I just, I, there's so many nuggets in all that you shared, but I think, I think just generally walking us through um, all of the things like in your past and how it ended up translating into adulthood um, because like those wounds weren't healed. I can totally relate. I'm um, working with a therapist who's actually, she's kind of like a coach as well. So she's not only a space to, to, provide like safety and and listening but also can like give me tools and stuff as well um and so I think just like when you know that the thing actually that you were missing in childhood was just the emotional like you were you just didn't get your emotional needs met right and so like you had to meet them yourself and you didn't know how to do that as a kid I didn't know how to do that as a kid I sure as hell knew how to eat candy or mac and cheese or pizza or, you know what I mean? Like, and it was reliable and easy and also socially acceptable. Like people don't say anything because like, it's pretty fucking normal. And especially in America to, to eat, you could eat compulsively in public and no one would even bat an eye. Right. Because it's like, so quote unquote normalized to a degree. um, Right. woman especially you can be like oh I'm PMSing so that's why I'm eating chocolate or you know um it was that was also a really easy thing to do or you could explain it away and go oh I forgot to eat lunch today ha 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 you know that's why I'm so (laughs) hungry and why I'm eating so much so yeah Yeah. no it's it's you're so right and it's like it's almost like the need to justify like there's no need to justify why you want to eat more food, right? Like at the end of the day. Uh, but when you're in that space, and I've I've been there for a long time as well, 
you feel like everyone is judging you. Like there's this feeling of like, I have to hide it. Um, And I know you've, you talked about the, like putting the wrappers in the trash thing. Like I have totally done that. Like, cause you're like, if anyone was to figure out how much food I actually eat, they would like, my thing was like, they would disown me. Like they wouldn't love me. I would not be lovable. They would be so disgusted with me. Like who could love somebody who like did this? You're disgusting, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I think there's like varying degrees of this, like for you guys listening, if it's not to the degree where you have, you do have a full blown eating disorder, you could also have disordered eating, right? Like there's patterns of this, but I think the pattern that you so like beautifully laid out is like normal people overeat, right? Uh, And they just go back to normal. Um, it becomes disordered when there's a response to the overeating that's, that exacerbates it. And that is what starts the cycle. Right. Cause you totally self-loathe and you think you're disgusting. And I know I used to look at myself in the mirror and I would have like just had this huge binge and it would be the end of the night and my stomach would be so extended. And I just felt like my skin was on like too tight. Yeah. And, right. Cause isn't that what it feels like? You, you feel know? like you're a stuffed sausage. Like yes. that's what it feels like. Totally. And like, you know, you're looking at yourself in the mirror and going, all right, you are going to stop eating like this. This is ridiculous. Look how terrible you feel. Look how terrible you look. You are going to stop doing this. This is, you know, it's insane. Stop it. Tomorrow morning, you're going to be good. This is it, you know, and then you wake up the next day and it's a whole other day of binging. Yeah. And it's like that. Um, I think the thing like that you just said, and this is something that I've been talking to my therapist with is the idea of dominion, right? Like, so my dad, similar to what you were talking about, like, um, is always right. Like very dominion, um, like very domineering, like his way or the highway, right? Like, because I said so. And it's almost like we, we take that into our adulthood and we treat our bodies the same way that our parent treated us. And like mm. we talk to our body, like, no, you're not going to overeat again. Like just stop doing this, right? Like bad, like basically like hitting it, right? Like hitting it into the corner, abusing it um, and not coming from a place of love. It's like, Hey, like, what do you need right now? Do you just like need a few brownies? cool fucking eat a few brownies like you're not gonna die right but instead you're like no you can't have more than one brownie or you can't have any brownies and then your body's like well uh fuck you and then it eats an entire tray of brownies because you didn't listen to it and then some yeah totally that's such a great i I never thought about that that's such a another great angle like a perspective to to look at that yeah like the dominion of your body yeah that's great yeah um and I, I think like what you talked about too, the, I would love to dig into some of these tools because like wherever people are on their recovery journey, whether they've had an eating disorder or they've ever experienced moments of overeating and then feeling really bad and either like over-exercising or trying to limit their calories the next day or whatever. Um, you talked about having tools and like how those were super pivotal for you in your recovery and now you don't need those tools anymore you know or at least like not to that degree um and so I was wondering can you share a little bit of um which tools worked and why and just like about that transition from realizing like hey I need these tools it doesn't make me weak like it doesn't mean anything's wrong with me it's just like this is what I'm going to do right now because in a certain sense like 
you weren't able to trust yourself around food. So it was like having that accountability and that sense of um, like detachment or like, you know, not the anxious attachment and not the avoidant attachment. It's like, okay, let's just find a healthy um, relationship to food. Yeah. Um, I, I think I kind of mentioned them, but I'll go into more detail. Like the, the first thing was just in the very beginning was just having a food plan to like the night before I'd say, okay, here's like, you know, you have like an a la carte menu kind of, you know, idea of like what you typically eat. And I'd be like, all right, well, here's my breakfast. I'm going to have a mid morning snack. I'm going to have lunch. I'm going to have two afternoon snacks, dinner. And then I'm going to have, I always had five Hershey's kishes. That was like a hundred calories dark chocolate. So that was, I was never, um, what I learned early on was, was never to deprive myself. Right. So everything I ate during the day, and there was a whole like, you know, learning thing of what is going to say, I didn't want to eat, you know, carrot sticks and celery sticks and, you know, lettuce and a rice cake. Like I didn't want that to be like, I've been there (laughs) for a day because that wouldn't be satisfying at all. Right. And you would totally want to binge after that because you're deprived. So I always ended the day with five Hershey's kisses. um, And the things that I ate during the day, you know, sort of varied. And I'd be like, all right, well, I wanted to get the most bang for my buck. I wanted to eat the largest amount of food, Mm-hmm. Um, which I think was called volumetrics back then. I don't know if they still do that now, but yeah. the largest amount of food, but with the most nutrition and the least calories, right? Um, so, you know, it took some experimenting, but it was, okay, so what is my, you know, every night would be, here's what I'm going to have the next day. That was sort of my accountability to me. Some people need to share that with somebody. And I've offered many times, you know, when I have knew somebody who was struggling, I'd be like, tell me what you're eating and stick mm-hmm. to that plan. And then it was a, it was a good thing. Like I said, it was empowering because then you'd have to think because how many times, and we haven't mentioned this yet, but that internal dialogue, right? Like, should I eat that cookie? Should I not eat that cookie? If I eat that cookie, um, I'm probably gonna have 15 cookies. Oh, no, you're not. Yes, I, you know, I don't, blah, 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 you know, when you go back and forth, and the minute you start, should I eat this? I, for me anyway, I was done. If that conversation started, I was eating it and forget it. Yep. So um, that was another thing too, was just, contr- you know, if the dialogue started, it was like, stop. Now that's not an option. Mm-hmm you're having what's on the food plan and that is it. And I'm not deprived and this isn't an option for me. So I had a limit. Um, okay. I maybe, you know, there was my, I still had like in the beginning was like trigger food. So while I couldn't, if, you know, if there were brownies in the house, that was really a problem for me in the beginning because it was just too tempting. And I was still too early in the recovery to be able to not eat, you know, 15 of them at a time. So that was the tools was just like having a food plan and saying these things, everything else is not an option in the, in the future. There'll be an option for me right now. I just, I don't, I don't trust myself. I'm not strong enough to not do that. Um, and that, that was just really huge. Um, and it took me, I'm trying to think what else, um, what I did, you know, a lot of it was just the mindset of, um, I, I'm not having this. I know this is really tough for me right now. And I, at at some point I'll be able to, but I can't right now. Um, and I didn't trust myself. Right. And, and then it was also calorie counting as well. I knew I had X amount of calories a day to maintain or, you know, get to a certain weight that I was trying to get to. Um, 
And that was my calorie count. And again, that was another form of accountability. Mm -hmm. I knew I was a walking, I'm sure you were too, a walking calorie book, right? You knew exactly the amount of calories in everything. Um, but I needed that. I needed to do that. I needed to know what I was eating and how many calories. And um, those were I, those were probably my biggest tools. Um, and it took me probably a few years before I got to the, like taking a leap of faith and trying intuitive eating was like, okay, I, I don't know how people do this. I don't know how, I didn't understand how somebody could go to a restaurant and like eat half their meal and be like, I'm full, you know, cause in my world, fullness, I didn't give a shit. Like, I don't care. This, this is like freaking chocolate cake. I don't care how stuffed I am. I will make room for this. I am eating this, you know? So to see people who'd be like, I'm full and, you know, push their plate away was like, what are you kidding me? You know, where people who ate half dessert or, you know, somebody who can order like a regular entree of food um, or appetizer and like leave it. Like that was unfathomable mm-hmm. to me, right? Like how how did you do that? And it was just like such a leap of faith to understand that, you know, I'm, I'm going to have some of this now and I'm going to be satisfied. I don't need to lick the plate clean, um, which I have done. And, um, I, if I start to get that, you know, you start, you know, there's that, um, levels of fullness that you have, you know, you're either starving or you're stuffed. And then there's like levels in between to sort of gauge kind of where you are. And it would be like, you know what? I'm feeling satisfied now. I can take, I can get this wrap and bring it home and eat it tomorrow or just be like, yeah, I'm kind of done with this and, and not have it. Um, I didn't have to order my own dessert and have my husband have his own dessert. We could share them and I could have like a few bites and I, was satisfied and that was good and it was it was just what I needed you know and um it was really a huge giant leap of faith to trust myself because for so long you know for 30 years so like I said I'm 52 for 30 years I had an eating disorder over half my life which is like crazy right over half my life I was completely out of control um, you know, I had times where I was good, you know, I would go on like a diet and then I'd lose some weight. And then of course, you know, that all the deprivation would lead to binging and binging, um, you know, the normal cycles that everybody goes through. Um, so it was, it was a tough step to take that intuitive eating leap and, you know, some process of learning there and, you know, kind of two steps back, one step forward. And, um, and then I finally got it, you know, and I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm to a point now I'm 12 and a half years recovered and I can overeat. I can eat like I can have, you know, a brownie and be like, oh, that was so freaking good and have another one. And they'll be like, oh my God, that was really good and have another one. And that's okay. And I eat three and I'm, you know, I'm not berating myself. I'm not self-loathing. I don't have to make up for it. Um, it's just, you know, the, and I hate to use the word normal again, but you know, it's just the food, the, 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 the biggest difference is that I used to live to eat. Like that was all I lived for was I, what am I going to eat? When, where am I going to get it? What am I going to make lists? I'm going to go you know, on Saturday, I'm going to go here and here and here and here. I'm going to get this and this and this, this. And now I eat to live. I just eat to nourish my body and to get through my workouts and to feel good. I eat things because they taste good. 
I can eat them in moderation. I don't have to eat these ginormous amounts. And it's just all because I've healed that, you know, through therapy, thank God, I've healed all that stuff that had me, it was like a void, right? I had a void um, um, that I was trying to fill. I didn't know I had a void until I went to therapy, but I had a void and I was trying to fill it and I filled it with food, but I don't need to fill the void anymore. I understand what the void is. I get it. And I don't need to fill the void anymore. Yeah, that is so beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your tools. And I think like, I'm, I'm also, I haven't tracked in a while. Um, but I know that leap of like transitioning into intuitive eating, like totally was like, I just one day I was like, fuck this. I don't want to track another damn calorie. You know what I mean? I was like, I don't even care if I gain weight because I will eventually lose it and it will come off, but at least I'll have my peace of mind. And like, I won't be thinking about food more than I need to. Um, but like you, I had to go through that accountability piece with myself because I have had avoidant attachment um, was like a pattern for me, which was like, it's easier to just avoid it and it's easier to not track it than to actually like be like, whoa, that was a lot of calories, right? Like, wow, eight brownies actually is, (laughs) you know, like how many calories? It's easier to be like, nope, those are just really good and I'm fine. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So definitely building that like self-accountability and self-trust so that you get to a point where it is just a habit. Like you don't have to question yourself or, um, or second guess or restrict or be like, Oh my God, if I'm alone in this room right now with a plate of brownies, will I eat them all and then eat more because I can't trust myself. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. Doesn't even cross my mind. Now I could have had like, you know, a whole pastry, you know, um, uh, set up, you know, over on the counter. And I, I wouldn't care. It doesn't call to me anymore. It doesn't matter. It's just food. It's an object, you know, it's like, you know, I used to like say that like you're letting, I used to let food control my life and food is just an object, like, like a sock, right? Would I let a sock control my life? Like, what am I doing? I've given all my power over to an object, like, what, what am I, you know, what's the deal with that? But, you know, I'm so much stronger than that. And I am deserving, you know, like I take my power back, you know, I'm in charge here, not the food, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, and I'm curious to know, like, I love the switch, um, that you said, like I used to live to eat and now I eat to live and like nourish and feel good. And I, and I think you touched upon it, like having that healthy balance of like, yeah, of course you're still going to eat things that taste good. It's not like you're just eating for health. You're eating for the mental health and the psychological health and like, you know, a balanced life. I mean, part of that includes brownies and all the other fun stuff. Um, but not eating to like fill the void. And I'm curious to know, like what filled the void for you? Um, what did you fill up your life with instead of food? Oh, um, probably the, the, what the, the biggest thing was about two years into uh, my recovery, I got into triathlon. Mm-hmm. I'd always been an athlete, always a tomboy my whole life, um, always playing sports, working out. I had been a runner um, probably for about 10 years already or so before that, um, which thank God I did because of all that helped offset all the eating that I did. Um, and I remember I got like an email from a, um, it was actually like an eating disorder awareness group and they were having a fundraiser for a sprint triathlon, which is the shortest triathlon. Mm-hmm. 
and I was almost 40 and I thought, huh, you know what? I've never really swam. I mean, I've swam like goofing around the pool and I can swim and I'm, I am a runner already. So that's part of it. And the other leg is biking. I'm like, I've ridden a bike, you know? So, um, you know, I think I'm going to step out of my comfort zone of just sort of my normal running or, you know, go to the gym and lifting. And I think I'm going to try to do this triathlon. And I was really lucky that I had a, my former boss was a runner and then she turned into tri to triathlete um, also. And um, so I was able to get, she was able to mentor me and, you know, I tortured her with questions, asking her how to do this and how to do that. And um, so that what the the thing was is that I what I learned in therapy was that I was like putting the spotlight on food and I needed to put it I needed to expand other parts of my world and like you said filling the void and for the first time I was um you know when you're a mom you know a wife your whole world is your husband and your children, which is great. Um, but, you know, I used to have a full-time job and um, I was a project manager and I used to work at a trading card company. So all that part of me, I mean, we made a decision for me to stay home and raise the kids, which was really important. Um, but there was nothing for me anymore. So me getting into triathlon took up a lot of my headspace um, because I'm very A-type. So I was like, oh my God, I need to, how do I best swim? How do I best bike? How do I best run? How do I pick my race schedule? How do I pick what to wear? There was just so many things that just took up my head. Um, you know, much needed the space that was like probably thinking about food. Now I was thinking about racing and I'm a competitive person. So that was something that the triathlon filled me in like mind, body, and spirit. And it was very selfish right? Because you pay money, a lot of money sometimes for these races. I mean, I went all the way up to doing Ironmans, you know, which is like 13 for me, it was like 13, 14 hours of just straight endurance, yeah. swimming, biking, and running. Um, but they were so amazing and empowering to cross that finish line. It was like, I can do anything. If I can do this, there is no stopping me and I can do anything. And like, what a great I hoped example I was setting for my children, you know, and I would say to them, if mommy can do this, you know, I set out a goal, I followed this training plan and here I am. And I did this today. And I eventually ended up getting like first place in my age group and stuff like that. Oh and my was God, like, you're such a badass. <laughs> <laughs> not, not anymore. Um, I maybe was a little while ago, but not anymore. Um, but um, once a badass, always a badass. <laughs> thank you. You're so sweet. Um, but that, that filled me that, that, and I felt very selfish because I wasn't not only was I not contributing to the house financially, I was putting money out to do this. Um, you know, so I felt like this is so selfish, um, but it, I needed it for me. It was something just for me. And you know what they say, happy wife, happy life. Right. So um, if it was hard for me to make, I, I think it's, it's often hard the case for women to, if they're not happy, you know, it's hard to, have the kids be happy and your husband be and just have a happy life so it really um i embraced so for me triathlon was like self-care right mm -hmm. and um that was my form of self-care was doing something it was just for me it wasn't for anybody else and it did so much for me and um that that really at that time um and that was two years into recovery that that helped fill that 
void of, um, it wasn't the void of love anymore or anything like that, but just, it took up so much of my head space. Um, and it was just other external things and it wasn't food, you know, food then really became important because it was like, all right, I don't want to bonk or, you know, crap out in the middle of a race because mm -hmm. I need to fuel myself properly yeah. and I could still eat some junk food, but I was like, you know what, I really need to eat some healthy food here and healthy fats. And I need, I need to incorporate that. So I'm going to be the best me that I can be for training and for race day. Um, and it's just so interesting how all that evolved, um, um, for me, because you know what the truth was for to do an Ironman, you know, to train 16, 18 hours a week, I could have freaking binged like crazy, but I would have felt like shit. I would have performed like shit and you know, it just wouldn't have been good. So, yeah. Oh my God. That is so beautiful. It's like, how can you fill up your own cup? Like what are your grounding practices? And I think for me, like the thing that really helped me actually heal my relationship with food, um, was getting really fucking strong in the gym because I was like pouring myself into that. Right. And then after that happened, it was building my business. Like my business was my baby. And yeah. I was like, I mean, it was to the point where it was an unhealthy degree, but it did help me heal my relationship with food because I was focused on say recording a podcast, right. Or like creating content or like helping my clients. Like I didn't have time to binge, <laughs> you know, like wasn't on your head, your mind anymore. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, cause then I can't show up and like do the thing I love that I'm like really fucking good at. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. So it's like, how can you make your life so fucking exciting that food is part of your life, but it is not the most exciting thing in your life. Right. It, like gets it reduced like that emotional charge around food it just becomes less of a thing like oh cool right. I'm gonna have a thing next like I'm gonna move on with my life and it's right. so easy to say that now but like I know like there is totally times um even very recently too where in still like you're in recovery like there's always going to be times you have to be mindful it can be easy to be like oh well I also could do this right and so it's like still combating those thoughts and really cultivating that sense of trust with yourself and with food um I think it's a forever skill right like you're you are yeah. you're constantly honing in on that yeah and I think also um I you know much like any kind of addict a drug addict or um an alcoholic you're always going to be that right so I'm always going to have that little part of me that's mm -hmm. disordered, right? With my eating, that's going to think, I probably think differently than other, you know, than my husband does, right? About food. Um, and I think that if given the opportunity, if somehow so many things changed in my world, I still think like, again, much like an alcoholic or drug addict, that that part of me is still waiting to come out and take over. Yeah. And I realize that it's always there. I can't take for granted, you know, these 12 and a half years. Um, I'm grateful every day for all that I have and for this, um, that I am recovered and that I have a, you know, great life as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that I realize that that eating disorder is never gone again, the same, like anybody else with an addiction, it's never gone. It's sort of just lying in wait and it's very quiet. And I hope I never hear from it again. Um, but it's kind of always there. And like you said, you always just have to kind of be mindful that, and oh, you have to kind of respect it in a sense, you know what, be like, all right, I know, I know it's there. I'm not hearing you and I don't want to see you and I'm not letting you out, but I know if push comes to shove in some 
some kind of scenario of something really, I'm not even sure what, but it could come out again, you know? So, and I don't want that to happen. Yeah, totally. I think the, um, the analogy that I use that you're kind of like referencing, and I'm wondering if you've used this is like thinking of it like a monster or, um, like some sort of beast or like whatever, and thinking about like putting it in its cage. And like, (laughs) basically the way that I thought about it is like, I have to starve it to death almost like it's never going to die, but I have to starve it so that it doesn't get my, like it doesn't take control. Right. Because like that monster was so far out of the cage, like it was eating, it was attacking me. I was thinking that I was the monster, but it's just that we all have the monster. That's like our reptilian brain, right? Like it's the part of our brain. That's like, all I want to do is eat brownies. (laughs) Like everyone has that. We all want to just eat brownies, but also we don't have to act upon the impulse. And I think that's the, um, the fine line is like, understanding that we all have cravings and we all have impulses and we all have that little monster in our brain and we can choose to buy into it or not. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Mine was for me, like I sort of envisioned like a, like a devil and an angel on my shoulder, you know, and it was like the devil was either in control or the angel was there, you know, yeah. um, or I would say we like a lion, like boring in my ear, but now, you know, it just went down to like a whisper, you know? Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. It's like turning up the volume on the, <laughs> the yeah. higher self and the turning down the volume on the, on the other self. So yeah. 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 yeah taking your power back. And it's like, how are So talk to me about like where you are now um, in your life, like what's going on in your life. That's exciting. Um, just to kind of show people that like recovery is possible for sure. It's happened to hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and if you're in that place feeling like you're stuck, you can 100% get out. Um, Ronnie's testament. I'm a testament to it. And I would love to hear just like where you're at and what's coming up for you in the next either few months or year or like any fun projects you have going on. Yeah. Well, um, I, I don't know if, um, every, no, you know, obviously, but this, my book just came out like, um, um, gosh, a few weeks ago. Um, and the book is just um, everything about the eating disorder um, and, and my recovery. And I get references and stuff for, you know, uh, re- uh, things regarding recovery. Um, and I just really felt that uh, I really just wanted to pay the recovery forward. And just like you said, the way that I think of it is, you know, I'm just an average person. I, I don't have any superhuman strength or any superhuman powers. And if I can recover, you can recover. It takes work. Um, it's not easy. And I remember going to therapy and thinking, okay, we'll go once or twice and the eating disorder will be gone. And it doesn't happen that fast. It takes, you know, it takes time, especially if you've been eating disorder for a really long time. Like I was 30 years. Um, it took a lot of undoing um, and just really diving in. And so, so important to be honest with yourself. Um, and you may need to relive some moments that weren't very pleasant and that might be a very scary thing, but you're, you're not going to recover. Um, you're always going to be white knuckling it unless you're completely honest. Um, anyway though, so the book was just my way of, I hope, um, hopefully it being just a good book to read. Um, but just to show other people that, um, anybody who's struggling and I really think more people, you know, like how you and I were saying, we would never tell anybody and people wouldn't know from looking at you or looking at me back then, you know, that I, 
you know, was compulsively overeating and binging because we all keep it a secret. Um, it's a shameful, shameful secret because nobody would think of us the same or, you know, you're, you think anyway, nobody would think of us the same if they knew that we were doing this. Um, you're not alone and that um, recovery is definitely possible, but you do have to put in the work and it's not going to, you know, happen overnight. It does take time and it does take patience and it does take work. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I, I just really wanted to pay that forward and I was really afraid, I think, writing the book sooner, I always have this vision, you might be too young to remember this, um, Oprah Winfrey has always battled her weight. Yeah. And she, um, she, on her show one time, when she lost a bunch of weight, she came on stage and she dragged like this wagon that had like 60 pounds of fat. And she was like, this used to be on my body and, you know, and I don't have it anymore and yay me. And everybody was thrilled for her. And she put on the weight and then some. So I didn't want to be that, you know, have that Oprah moment where I was like, yay, I overcame my eating disorder. And then, yeah, I, mm -hmm. I relapsed and just struggled and struggled and struggled. So I didn't want to be that person. So I, I think I, you know, it was about eight, eight year point. It took me four years to write the book um, about the eight year point. Um, and I didn't even come out, so to speak, um, until around 10 years recovered, I was still wow. right or wrong. I was still um, embarrassed and I was still ashamed. And my, my husband knew obviously. And I told my daughter um, who was, I think I told her when she was 10, cause I thought she would maybe start to get it. And I also know that kids see a lot more than you think they do. Um, and, um, and just a few close friends. I still didn't tell people until I started writing about, you know, essays about it, um, a few years ago, cause it was still just embarrassing for me. Um, I, uh, yeah, so I think, uh, so right now it's still just, my life is very much focused on the book since I'm my, I'm not, my spin classes aren't happening now cause I'm too afraid to go in the gym. Um, I don't want to get sick and help, you know, get my family sick. Um, so it's that, and I was, um, telling Sam a little earlier that there'll be uh, another book that I'm going to get started, uh, which I'm excited about. And um, yeah, just, just, you know, every day I'm just feeling grateful. Uh, and, uh, you know, just for everything, you know, my husband, my children, my life that I, that I had the opportunity to write this book and that I've been very fortunate, like, you know, people like Sam and, um, you know, other people have, you know, privately or publicly told me like, wow, this was, you know, really helpful for me and thank you for writing it. And, you know, that's, that's just the best feeling. It's just yeah. the best feeling. Oh, oh my God. I am so excited for you guys to read your book. It is incredible. Um, and I will put a link in the show notes and, um, yeah, yeah. thank you so much for sharing all of your story. And I think the more that we talk about this, the less shame there is. And, and honestly, I remember like just the first time I ever talked about it on my Instagram, this is probably like two years ago at this point, I was so scared. Like I, I remember like posting about the fact that I like ate like half of a chocolate sheet cake or something. And I just like threw my phone across the room and I was like, I can't believe I just put that in public. Oh my God, I'm freaking out. Right. And I was just like, ah, and I was like crying and I'm like dramatically like laying on my floor, but I was like really having this emotional experience. But after it like after I calmed down, I was like, wow, that actually felt really good. 
And honestly, if it was not for Instagram and having the platform I do and like having conversations like this, I would not be healing like at all. Because when we like remove the shame, that's when we can heal. Like shame keeps us so stuck. Absolutely. And, and the secrets too. Um, you know, there's a thing from, um, Alcoholics Anonymous AA that I really, really believe in. It says you're only as sick as your secrets and all this stuff that you're keeping in and not telling and not sharing and not admitting to yourself. Um, and also then subsequently to others, I don't mean like telling the whole world about it, but a therapist, you know, loved ones, people who are supportive of you, um, you stay sick. And the more you let it go, it's so much more freeing and that you heal um, from talking about it. I mean, like, and as silly as it sounds, this is even healing for me right now, you know, mm-hmm. to talk to you about it. Every, every time that I discuss it and writing the book, everything is cathartic and everything is healing. So it's a, just a really great circle to get into as opposed to the bad, vicious circle of all the eating, all the shame, not telling anybody when you start to the other circle of telling people and sharing it. Um, that's a good circle and that's a productive, healthy circle. Yeah. Come and hang on in our circle. Basically (laughs) this is the cool circle. (laughs) The shameless circle. Um, Well, thank you so much, Ronnie. You are the best. I am so grateful to have you in my life and to have Instagram uh, connect us in the ways that it did. And um, for you guys listening, go check out Ronnie, Um, check out her book. She is incredible. Um, And I have a feeling she's going to be doing some amazing things, um, helping other people in their recovery as well. So um, again, thank you so much for taking time to be on. Uh, I, I know everyone is going to love this episode. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, thank you for, oh, gosh, thank you for saying that. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, it's been so good. Um, well, I'll talk to you soon and I will make sure to put uh, links to your Instagram, your website, the book, all that in the notes so that everyone can find you. Oh, thank you. You're so thank welcome. You. I will talk to you soon. Okay, bye, Sam. Bye. Alrighty, that wraps up another episode of the Balance with Sam podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and a huge shout out to Ronnie for sharing all of her story. It is so beautiful and such a beautiful reminder that you can take your power back. And if you are feeling stuck, you can get out. Whether you struggle with chronic overeating, an eating disorder, or just disordered eating in general, if you've ever been trapped in that dieting culture in the food cycles, I just want you to know that recovery is possible and it takes time it's a journey but I promise you coming from somebody who has struggled for years in food and I am on the other side of that and I am in my healing journey you can make the choice to not give into those impulses and to totally have power over food again Um, I love you so much thank you so much for tuning in and taking time to listen in and if this episode was helpful please screenshot it and tag us and let us know I am so grateful that you are here and I hope you have an amazing rest of your week and I will catch you on the next episode.